too. We are media fuckers! On today's episode, we have Babylon 2022, a three-hour, nine-minute epic, and The Fablemans 2022. Let's start with The Fablemans. Spoilers ahead for The Fablemans 2022. It's doing pretty well for... Actually, no, it's not. (laughs) I'll just give the numbers now while we're at it. So, uh, domestic box office, 8,135,926. International box office. This is the lowest international box office I've seen since The Musketeer, which had zero. (laughs) $43,534. Woof. What did they release it in two? Did they release it in like three tenths? Yeah. So, oh, Jesus, this is weird. The only other country that the Fablemans has been released into this point is Romania, where all four hundred thirty or where all forty three thousand dollars come from. <laughs> That's a real it's dark odd. horse pick there. <laughs> yeah. The Fablemans has a production budget of forty million dollars. And how much did it make in its opening weekend? 161,000. It's only made $8 million so far. Uh, Oh, boy. Huh. I mean, because there were a number of people in the theater when I went and saw it. Usually when movies don't do well, like, I'm in the theater alone. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, uh, There were uh, seven or eight people in there. I went during the day on Wednesday. Yeah, I went during the day, too, and I had more people in there than you did. And usually your theater theater has about 20 times as many people as mine does. All right. Synopsis. Growing up in post, post-World War II era Arizona, young Sammy Fableman aspires to become a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence, but soon discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of films can help him see the truth. That is the message in this movie. That film can bring you together. Film can... It gives him purpose throughout this entire movie. So in the beginning, I would say that's not wait to see the truth. I would say that's the what the movie. The opposite of what the movie says, the, mo- yeah. the theater lets you see what the movie lets you see what you want to see. Yeah. <laughs> or what the person who makes it wants you to see was, I think, the ending moral, if there is one. Yeah, my thought was that it can bring people together, because especially with that uh, high school kid towards the end, mm-hmm. I thought the moral of the story was that. If you don't think that filmmaking is a great career, uh, your wife's going to bang someone else. (laughs) Everyone's on board for him watching the movies, except for the guy whose wife is just getting Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, I I just I can't believe that Seth Rogen is the honeypot in this movie. I called him Seth MacFarlane. (laughs) That would have been more believable. Seth Rogen. So the the family shattering secret, I mean, we'll we'll jump start back to the beginning, but the family shattering secret is that the wife, the mother of Sammy is banging Seth. I almost just called him Seth McFarland, Seth Rogan. Well, she says that they never bang, but I don't believe her. No. What did they do? Like they he he shows her the movie and she has this face like, oh, no, but he just like, never mind. <laughs> well, the idea is that it was like. More of an emo- my thing, my theory of it is it was it was more of a they were having an emotional affair with like just like they never got past first base is what she is how I took her confession to him to mean like they never got past first base but like I'm sorry Seth Rogen is not going to stick around and go on every vacation for like 15 years. <laughs> Stay on first base. No, that, there's gonna be some progression there. <laughs> like, because like I like they make it seem like this guy has like he has no life of his own. Like he's there for dinner pretty much every night. He goes yeah. with them on vacation. Like, so like when they go to Disney World, is he buying his own ticket? <laughs> <laughs> Does do they get one check when they go out to dinner? When does your first note say, "Oh, they're banging"? Like, when did like the hat drop for you on that? Was when they moved to Arizona. I, I asked the question, why is she so pissed that Seth Rogen's derby ass isn't coming? That's also when I did. <laughs> as soon as like he was like, I have a job in Arizona. 
he's gonna do he's gonna do fine here. No, you can't leave your best friend. How dare you leave your best friend? And I'm How dare like, you leave the guy who's sticking it to me? Like, wait, this woman likes the fact that her husband's best friend is always there. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good point. I've Usually been, the wives are like, when is he going home? I think most of us have been like the friend of a couple for some period of time. Mm-hmm. But like, there's a hard limit on how much time you can spend before it gets awkward, right? Yes. Let's rewind to the beginning. So Sammy as a young child, what did you say? He's like five, six years old, something like that. Yeah. And he is brought to his first movie. He's afraid at first because this is like the 50s. And he's never seen a movie. He doesn't even understand the concept of a movie. They bring him to his movie and he's just entranced. He's obsessed with this train crash that they they somehow put on the screen. And he's just there. They're on their way home. And he's just like a dead stare just thinking about it. So for Hanukkah, they're Jewish. They, they also mm-hmm. lied the to, yeah to the shit about like oh this is gonna oh this is an um this is a circus movie. There's gonna be elephants and everything's gonna be wonderful and it's like train crash, <laughs> an actual human head bouncing across the sand, thousands dead. Kind of fucked it's up. Like, <laughs> I, like I mean, you could take a kid to that and be okay, but most kids that age, you're, they're not gonna react well to seeing that kind of violence on screen, even if it is like a little cartoony. Like I remember being a kid, like watching a Western, like I'm upset that like this guy's dead, he didn't deserve to die. So like I don't know, you, you gotta judge. But like ha- taking a kid that's scared of something bad happening in a movie, you should not take him to a movie where something bad happens. <laughs> I have a question mark after this note. Did you think when they gave him the uh, trains for Hanukkah each day? I think it's what is it, seven or eight days of Hanukkah or nine or something? Yeah. So. Every day they light a candle and give a gift. And they give him all the trains, but don't give him the main train car, the front one until the end. Did you feel like that was reverse order? Or do you think he shouldn't have been able to play with it till everything was ready? That's uh that's a good question. I I I thought he got the train like all in one day. Oh I yeah. Didn't, was I like... didn't realize the train was spread out over it. I thought like the way Hanukkah worked is like you get like like the first day you get some candy and the second day you get like some clothes and then like, like you get a normal Christmas setup, but it's just like it building up to the last day. Yeah. Like on the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me 12 Lincoln trains. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they straight up give him one train car every day. I did not interpret it that way, but um, yeah, that seems a little messed up. He's just going to have like, he's going to have like a box car sitting on his desk for three days. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's like, oh, look, here's the plug. Here's like the plug in for the for the tracks. Yeah. And the day eight, they give him the engine, the front car that actually moves it. But don't give him the track yet. So it's just <laughs> so yeah, his, his mother says a line that I really appreciated. You never forget movies. I'm like, I've forgotten so many movies. <laughs> so like movies forget that... movies left and right. I guess like if you only saw like one movie a year, you wouldn't forget a movie. Right. But if you're going like two a week like us, like <laughs> he gets his train and he tries to recreate the scene from the movie just to see how it would how it would really react, mm-hmm. even though he's got little plastic toys. But that's neither here nor there. Those were not Actually, little plastic toys. Those things were made of steel, buddy. Yeah. And honestly, probably in the movie, it was done the same way. You think they actually got? <laughs> no, no. The movie was cl- uh, the movie like was clearly like a. Uh, a toy train on like a pan tilt view or something like that. Like it was obviously a toy in the movie in the movie that is in the movie. Uh, She ends up giving him the giving Sammy, the the dad's camera so that he can try and recreate it instead of constantly smashing his trains together. uh, She wanted him to be able to record it so he could watch it over and over. That sounds like a healthy way of dealing with trauma. Just stare at it. I have uh, another question for you because I wasn't sure. So at one point during the movie, it's raining outside. This is still very early on. Everyone's still, all the uh, kids are still very young. This is before they moved to Arizona. And they see a tornado. The mother gathers all the kids in the car except the youngest baby and the dad and drives towards it. Was she thinking about killing the family? No, no. She's just a dumb bitch. Okay. (laughs) That's much more acceptable to me because I totally thought that was like part of what was on her mind was to 
kill the kids, which is pretty dark, but. No, no, she just thinks that uh, tornadoes aren't dangerous. That's all. Um, they're moving to Arizona because the dad gets a new job. The wife is super pissed that Seth Rogen isn't coming, which we've <laughs> already talked about. What are you talking about? Seth Rogen is the dad's best friend. Yeah. You know, you never move away from your best friend. He's definitely not sticking it to his wife. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, so they basically tell you in that scene that he's getting the old... Um, what do you think Seth Rogen's character is? He thinks Polish in this movie. <laughs> oh, I think he's Jewish for sure because he's Jewish oh, think... in real life. So I think he's. Oh, okay. So the family, the whole family, and including Seth Rogen is Jewish in this. Okay. Yes. That's weird. So like, no, I wonder why only the main character deals with the anti-Semites. Like none of the girls never happens to the to like to Seth Rogen or the adults. Right. When the guy gets called a Jew bag or whatever, what does he get called? A kike? Yeah. It's by the skinny dude, not the dude he shot the movie for. We'll get into that. But he calls him an anti-Semite. That guy didn't call him a... He just punched him in the face. He wasn't being a... Oh, whatever. I mean, okay, so the big guy did have a few lines. Like you said, he doesn't like Jews, but then again, no one likes Jews. (laughs) Yes, I mean, I think everyone is like... It's like um, a thing like they're all anti-Semitic, but only one of them is like, you know, makes the personality out of it. Like if there was that much anti-Semitism, it would have been in more of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, OK, it's it's oh, my brain is now ruined. So, you know, you say you never forget a movie, but I'm forgetting a movie right now. What was the one where like um, there was the World War One movie where like. Everyone was racist except for the guy at the top, so that the characters could keep doing stuff. Uh, Amsterdam. Yeah, Amsterdam. This movie has anti-Semitism the way Amsterdam has racism. It's like if you took out the anti-Semitism and made these people not Jewish, the movie would be ninety-five percent the same. Like it has yep. no influence on the rest of the story. It's like almost completely separate. Yeah, and also high school kids are pieces of shit. If he was German or if he was French or uh, from. Texas, they would have found something to shit on him about. It wasn't, I don't think it was the whole Jewish thing. I think it was the kids are pieces of shit thing, <laughs> especially these self entitled little fucks that were in the end of this movie. So there are three acts essentially, and they're, they're split up. I think you can correct me if I'm wrong. So it's each time the dad moves, sets up a new act. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. That- you could you could do it like that, I think. Yeah. So the first is uh, him as a youngster, you know, learns his first movie as we just went over. Then they move to Arizona, and they bring Seth Rogen with him because the wife needs some wiener. And well, unfortunately I mean, okay, so, for her, um, it's Seth Rogen. Well, there's a few more things to cover first, like because in the uh-huh. first in the first one, he also does like he does a bunch of movies before their first move. Like um, oh sure yeah like like the, he like he's really good at special effects for being like a six year old. Oh, 100%. Like, like I mean, the, the toilet paper monster he made out of his sisters was legit. Like, that was that was better special effects than the musketeer. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn, we needed a six-year-old to help with this movie. Yeah, the, a lot of the movies we cover, we cover could have benefited from a, from, very, from a certain six-year-old Jew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, he does the... He takes all the toilet paper and for some, well, I guess it makes sense because there are like seven people in that house. She has like 15 rolls of toilet paper they use to turn his sister into mu- sisters into mummies. Yeah. Uh, they do a a scene where the, they're trying to make it look like they're extracting a tooth from one of the sisters. Mm-hmm. He uses ketchup for that. Yeah. Which, but like, you know, it's, it's not OK. So using the ketchup is obvious, but like he uses like framing to imply um, action and then misdirection like so like a good movie with a low budget will have a cut during a punch and have you reacting to it and your mind fills in the punch a bad movie like like a like a sci-fi movie that releases at like 3 p.m on a thursday <laughs> that movie will have like a person fully in frame fighting with a monster with a cgi monster fully in frame yeah and then like you'll start a swing and they'll do the whole swing, and then they cut to the monster reacting, and then, like, the sword, like, comes in and out of frame, but just the tip of it. Yep. <laughs> so, like, 
he, like there are people that make a living like at six. This kid is better than um, uh, who, who's that guy? Uh, Steven Seagal is at like forty five. <laughs> like like there are people making a living in Hollywood who aren't as good at like camera work as the six year old is. Right. And when I say and not camera work, editing too, I guess, but like, like he must be editing it, right? Yes. So that six year old is using the glue in the film thing. Yep. But like he's editing the movie, he's editing it without having the ability to watch it, and I think that covers like the first act. Yep. And we, uh, every they all move to Arizona, and we kind of get a bit of a time skip when we see him. They're scorpion hunting, so they're they're gathering up a bunch of scorpions in the desert in Arizona so that they can sell them to fund their next movie, which is a western. Jeremy's attention was piqued at that point. <laughs> <laughs> And then a young Clint Eastwood shows up. Yeah. And I don't know if this is an actual thing that they've done, but he's editing the film after they filmed everything. He sees that the guns just look like shit because they're not firing. Obviously, they're fake. Yeah. So he pokes small holes in the gun, like where the gun barrels are, so that the light from the projector can make it look like they're flashing, which I thought was an incredible. That has to be how they've done it. Like they did it in the back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that as an effect happened pretty early in like the use of film. But like he came up with came up with it without like anyone else doing it with him. Like he bends the rules to get a photography badge for cinematography, which, uh, you know, photography's in there. I say give it to him. It's the Boy Scouts. Calm your tits. <laughs> but like they had an argument about it, which I thought was real dumb. Like the, the, this is where the theme of the movie starts, where like everyone's super impressed with the movie and they love it. And then like they're down on them for doing a movie and then they watch it and they love it. And then they're down on them for doing a movie and then they watch it and they love it. And I'm like, pick a pick a lane, people. <laughs> yeah. The dad's always calling it a hobby. But then he's like, uh, why don't you get a job, you lazy bitch? Instead of doing your hobby all the time. But on the other hand, can you make a movie about mom? Yeah. It's yeah. like, again, pick a lane. <laughs> if they're not real, then why are you trying to use one to save your marriage? Yeah. Yeah, because the uh, the grandma on the mom's side dies, so he wants to, to make a movie about her. And that's how uh, Sammy finds out about Seth Rogen and her fingering in the forest or whatever they're doing. They're but no, the no, they were just smooching. Definitely only first base. Yeah. Everything that we did was on camera. What are the odds you would have caught me with everything I did on camera by accident that one time? Right. <laughs> You'd think you would have only caught like a percentage of it. Um, we meet Uncle Boris. Maybe I'm skipping ahead a little bit from where your notes are, but his main purpose in the movie, other than being a weirdo, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is to convince Sammy to make the movie about the mother. Because Sammy wants to make his World War One movie. The dad wants him to uh, put it on the back burner to make the movie about the mother. Because she's kind of going through a, a crisis, I guess, with her mother dying and, you know, <laughs> adultery. Yeah. I mean, I feel like so. there's some tension there because like he wants because he's got like 40 people coming to help him make this movie. Mm -hmm. So you can't just ditch on 40 people. But like right. the timing of it's really bad for his mom. So like I feel like the thing to do here is you're a teenager. You need to pull and you need you're at to pull two all nighters in a row. But like then they slow the whole fucking movie down for this uncle to come through. And basically I read it as foreshadowing, like because he, he says several times, like you're going you love movies more than you love your family. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, I don't. And he's like, yes, you do. And then like the rest of the movie kind of goes off with him being only about movies, even though his family's kind of falling apart. He's not doing well in college because he, he only cares about movies. He's um, not really there for his family, which, you know, at his age, it's hard to be there for someone else. Like you're kind of you're just trying to you're just trying to exist, basically. And, uh, you know, his family is definitely not there for him. So, like, <laughs> it's a real it's a hard <laughs> lift. But the movie's about him. And, I mean, his dad is probably like what, like the number seventh character in the movie, if you're being honest. I thought they were going to go the, the way of him using movies to escape from his family. But mm -hmm. they really make it more about him using movies instead of living the rest of his life because he just loves movies more than everything else. So the purpose of the uncle to answer your question in a very long way is to tell the audience he loves movies, basically. Yeah. 
that's how that's how it came across to me. Like this is the person who's telling the truth, and the rest of the movie looks like it does from that perspective intentionally. He agrees to do the you know film the mother on the camping trip and all that. Mama, and, <laughs> yeah. So after he uh, releases his movie, so he he kind of does a screening of his movie. And the mother is trying to congratulate him. He blows her off and he goes and talks to the dad. Then he is at the house and he won't talk to the mother. Finally, he sits her in a closet. Um, So he shows her exactly what he found. And the camera doesn't show what she was actually doing. It just shows her and Seth Rogen sitting on like a blanket in the field. My note is, you know, it's slim pickings when Seth Rogen's the mistress. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so they're moving to California and they pull over at one point so that the mother can take a breath or whatever she's doing. And Sammy goes up to her and clearly the guilt's catching up to her. But they frame it in a way that are we supposed to feel bad for her? Because I sure don't. And she goes, oh, I'm going to stay married to him. Oh, I see. Are you the one who's getting screwed around on? I didn't know that was even like a thing up until this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to stay married to him. Don't worry. What about if he finds out what you've been doing? Shouldn't you be worried about whatever? They have an argument a little later on where <laughs> she's like, why didn't you bring Benny with us? Basically, she's saying you knew he was my friend. Why didn't you bring him along? He's he's like this company doesn't need IBM doesn't need him and I don't need him. She's like, well, I do <laughs> imagine having the fucking balls to say that to his face. Yeah. After the, yeah. Yeah. It's uh... <laughs> unreal. All right. Let's talk about high school. So he gets a nickname uh, instead of Fableman. His name is now Bagelman. Yes. Shocker. And, He's uh, bad at sports as you do. <laughs> yeah. Skinny little kid. Yeah. They <laughs> stick him into volleyball and, he gets in trouble somehow because he tries to play volleyball against the kids instead of just getting stuffed on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the way I understood it is like he stuffs the guy. The guy falls down because he wasn't ready for it. And now he's embarrassed because he just got dunked on by the four foot eight kid who's <laughs> new in school. You can look at it as if like, would he have been accepted if he was not a Jew? Um, no, I don't know. Like. I can't imagine the scene would be different if he was like basically if he was anything other than like a white Irish kid, it probably would not have gone well for him. <laughs> I still if he was the kid who spiked it on him's little brother, I don't even think he would have been he would have been okay. He was coming to a new school with it, like playing against the douchey kids and embarrassed the douchey kid who has all the friends. Like I don't think it would have went well for him regardless of what he looked like. But I think he got it extra because he's Jewish. You know what I mean? Like, I think he would have gotten shit yeah. on regardless. I mean, probably like the way you react to this will be like based on your your priors in this, because there's there's no evidence like the the adults don't do with don't seem to deal with anti-Semitism on any level. The girls don't seem to deal with it on any level. Uh, but the movie's from his perspective. So maybe he it's not in the movie because he doesn't see it. But it does leave a hole of like. I'll, I'll tell us when I was a kid, like I was picked on for being skinny when I was a kid, but then mm-hmm. like someone else was skinny and more popular than me. So like obviously being skinny isn't a uh, doesn't keep you from the, the real issue was I was a weird kid. And so they picked on something to pick on me about. Yep. <laughs> and like I wasn't just skinny by like 2022 American standards. I was really skinny. <laughs> no, it was just something like as you were being picked on, it was just something to pick on you about. Right. And so they don't prove it, but like. They're they're really they don't pick on him for anything else either. Like so, I think the 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 default assumption is they really don't. Uh, they really are anti-Semitic. But you know that you you could read it more than one way if you were yeah. so inclined. Yeah, I just read it as they're douchebags. He's the new kid, so yeah. he's gonna get it. But he gets it more because he's Jewish. That was my feeling yeah. on it. Go ahead. My next note is Jesus is sexy. Yeah, that's what I have, except mine has a question mark at the end. <laughs> oh, there's no question. Look how ripped he is on that cross. <laughs> you can't get those side abs unless you've been hung from a cross and starved for days. Um, <laughs> Sammy walks in on the the star guy making out with a redhead chick. 
and when he has a girlfriend who's a different chick mm-hmm. and that girl when they walked up i thought it was the same girl i don't know if you weren't <laughs> you noticed that or not but they looked pretty similar so the only reason he walked in on them in terms of the movie is to meet his first girlfriend who is a jesus freak and she wants to bang sammy because he's a jew and so is Jesus. Jesus was. Yeah. <laughs> it was like something out of like a American pie, you know? Yes. Yes. It's, it's full on cringe, yeah. like squirming in your seat cringe, but also extremely erotic. Uh, Why is it so funny to me? I, so I don't know. I didn't think it was quite that funny, but <laughs> because in my head, I thought, So I thought one of two things were going to happen when he went over to her house. Either she was just going to like bang him or she was going to tie him. Like maybe she had a giant cross in the room and just tie him to it. (laughs) Just actually crucify him. Yeah. The parents get a call that he didn't show up to school. He's like in this chick's room. (laughs) He just turns into a horror movie at this point. Yeah. Actually, that sounds like a good horror movie. Oh, we didn't mention when they moved to L.A. and leave uh, Seth Rogen behind. He tries, Seth Rogen tries to give Sammy a new camera. Even He doesn't know that Sammy knows about him banging his mom. So Sammy pays for it. So they use that camera and they're going to, they have something called, what was it called? Like skip day or cut day or something? Yeah, senior skip day. Yeah, it, where everyone went to the beach and he, he films the entire party essentially mm-hmm. and films the guy that was picking on him. Well, the guy that was picking on him less than the other dude, the dude who yeah. was making out with the girl. The the anti-Semitism is like 80, maybe 90% coming from the one psycho guy who I'm pretty sure if you went to his house, you would find like dead animals in the freezer. Yeah. <laughs> but not for eating. Like just cats and shit. Yeah, he would have like a squirrel uh, skin or something in his room. Like he's a genuine like psycho. Yeah. Like Dexter is watching for this guy to kill so he can kill him. They do the uh, beach party movie and he films that guy in a positive manner, which. Not, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he films the, the football star who only moonlights in anti-Semitism. Yes. For him, it's a hobby. His family it, like throws a bunch of shit at him too. like he has to watch his mom dancing in a see through gown. I feel like no one should have to see that. Right. That is cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, yeah. His mom gets a monkey. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it'll be, it should be a bigger part of the movie because that sounds very disruptive for home life. Like, but like nothing bad happens. Just the monkeys there causing like three conversations about why'd you get a monkey? Yeah. But like it feels like the monkey would break a camera or something. Yeah. Keep it away from the kid we just mentioned. Yeah, his mom gives a speech about how cruel zoos are, even though the first scene of the monkey is her building a cage. (laughs) While the monkey runs around and just breaks shit, she's building a cage in the living room. Yeah, my next note is um, our main character ruins the prom for his date. They like they make it seem like he's being like unaware, like like he's treating it like a regular party and not like, you know, prom. I don't know. He's not. As this socially unaware anywhere else, I guess he's like being traumatized because his parents are divorcing. But like, I feel like he's already had all the trauma of a divorce. Like, yeah. But then again, I've never been through that. So maybe it is different. But like, I feel like that would be a relief that your dad finds out and they split up. Honestly, he plays the movie for everyone. Everyone loves it. It's a big hit. Uh, The main guy, Logan, who was the semi dick. Well, was the semi anti-Semite, but mostly dick. Yeah, he he shines in the movie and gets his girl back thanks to Sammy. So what does he do in return? He kicks the shit out of the little. Well, he punches the one guy in the face and then literally kicks him in the ass. Because he tries to attack Sammy. So, you know, Um, and the last thing I have is about one year later, the the CBS thing. Yeah, so we should we should specify that the football star who is the tallest, strongest, most jacked, handsomest guy in all the seven kingdoms. Um, yep. He loses his girlfriend because he makes that with a redhead. And then he gets his girlfriend back because he wins a volleyball game and a foot race. Yeah, classic 50s. 
the more you think about it, the more fucked up the movie is, even though it's pretty fucked up without thinking about it. There you go. And most of this, I'm looking through this whole thing, and uh, most of it is directly based on his life. So the only thing they can't confirm at this point is if he dated a crazy Christian girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely a self, that's definitely the the fantasy part of it. Yeah, so like my family fucked up, and then I totally nailed this Christian chick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you rate this? One to ten. Um, I'm going to give it a seven out of 10, I think. Okay. I think it's pretty good. It does what it aims to do of telling an interesting story. Um, there's enough like weird spots in it. I'm not sure that what they were going for. So I can't like, did they hit the nail on the head for trying to handle being a Jew in Arizona? Probably not. But, like, I don't understand what they were going for, clearly, because it's all from his perspective. So I feel like throwing that in there really messes up the rest of the movie. Like, either address it well or don't address it. Um, Yeah, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. I thought that it was very good. It was it was a lot different than most of the movies I enjoy. And it kind of slowed down to a crawl at certain points and i feel like you know i complain about runtime a lot but i'm gonna do it again two Mm -hmm. hours and 31 minutes was a bit too long yeah so that's why i i took points off of it but it was really enjoyable it's a it's a must it's not a must watch it's a it's a recommend to watch even though you just heard us talk about it i I think it's still worth a watch but uh, yeah go out and see it Spoilers ahead for Babylon 2022, a tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess. It traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in early Hollywood. The blindness with which I went into this movie is the way I like to go into movies where like I know just the name mm-hmm. and nothing else. Because that makes a lot of movies a lot better, I think. Oh, yeah. Because. The number of times that even just reading the little text when you look at the movie on the list in Regal, or even just looking at the poster, sometimes, like, if someone on the trailer, I mean, not on the trailer, if someone on the poster doesn't show up for the first 20 minutes of the movie, you get an idea of who you're dealing with. Oh, wow, we we meet Tobey Maguire's character in a dungeon. I wonder if he's a good guy. Unless he's chained to a wall in there. This guy is going to be a creepy piece of shit. Yep. And seeing as how his best friend hawks loogies nonstop. Oh, what was with which, that? Oh, my God. They were trying to go for like a horror movie theme in there, but it was too deep in the movie for that. They didn't build it up enough, which is a weird thing to say in a three-hour movie. Like, I've been here for 17 days, and they want me to get scared all at once. My legs are numb. Oh, we didn't Just... mention this movie is starring. Hold on. What's the guy's name? Because it's not starring Margot Robbie or uh, Brad Pitt. It's starting starring Diego Calva and nobody else. This movie takes place over nine years, both in reality and in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they make up for it by just doing a shit job with aging. The prologue, the entire prologue is a a house party at this uh, fancy establishment that turns into an orgy. Uh, blackjack, or is it roulette? Uh, yeah, it's essentially a casino. Plays, who the fl- fuck plays poker while there's an orgy happening? Like <laughs> those guys trying to, those guys trying, like deciding well or not to. Uh, these guys are sitting there, like, oh man, should I hit on the sixteen? The dealer showing a ten, but you could smell someone's asshole right now as it's being. <laughs> yeah, it's don't being pumped. Okay, don't hit on sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> well in this movie i think they probably, this is 1926 oh, yeah. that's all, she's a little she's a little old for that place um yeah my first note was how do they find this many fat people in 1926 like yeah do yourself a favor go and google like world's fattest man 1910 he looks like he works <laughs> he looks like he looks like a construction worker today yeah he's like a buck 90 <laughs> 
Um, obviously, they just they they made that whole change because if you tra- if you teleported nineteen twenty six people to twenty twenty two, they would all be accused of anorexia. <laughs> yeah. Limitations of casting aside, I never ever felt like it was a nineteen anything movie. I felt like this movie this could have been a Hollywood twenty two thousand. It could have been, it could have been a Hollywood two thousand five movie, as far as I know. You're telling me that party doesn't happen in Hollywood? I don't believe you. Oh yeah. I don't believe you. There's no. I don't believe you. In the last thirty years, there's never been an orgy with an elephant star with like a bunch of famous people in it. Yeah, except there are a lot more children at the parties in Hollywood today. Margot Robbie's character, she's doing whatever it takes to get into Hollywood. Also, the butler, one of the waiters, is doing whatever it takes, I guess, to get into Hollywood, which just means picking up after Brad Pitt's clothing. I mean, he's not okay. So. He is a superhero in that, like, every time he goes to do something, it works. Yeah. Like, when this guy just needs to beat traffic, there's an ambulance with the keys in it next. <laughs> He's like, this this guy is the Forrest Gump of Hollywood in that, like, he stumbles dick first into massive success. Yep. But he also gets the credit for it. Like, like, he becomes an executive producer starting off being the Mexican. And the his in is that his boss after the party tells him to take Brad Pitt home and Brad Pitt sees him picking up his shorts after he throws him on the floor. He's like, Hey, you want to go to Hollywood? You want to come with me to set? Uh, sure. Do you think that like every person who has ever driven a drunk Brad Pitt home has like passed up the opportunity to be a Hollywood executive? Like but, every, yeah. every 1926 taxi driver was like, no, I got to work tomorrow. Fuck off. Mr. Famous actor. One thing I did really enjoy in the first hour of this movie, as soon as Brad Pitt goes to work for the first time, we see what Hollywood looks like. And based on uh, what I've read about this movie is that they've done a lot of research, right? This Mm -hmm. is what's alleged. I don't know how true it is, but since there was no sound, they had all these different movies being filmed like 10 feet apart. Oh, yeah. Which is really cool. Like you're walking through this uh, kind of like a desertish area, and <laughs> there's just all these little mini stages, and they're all filming right next to each other. The scene where like they invent the the talkies, mm-hmm. and like everyone's losing their shit because they never used the microphone before. That makes a hundred percent sense to me. Oh yeah, because it's tr- because it's in the transition period between silent and sound. Yeah, it, it's pretty funny. Like um, things that we take for granted, they just when you think about them in context it's like it's hard if you know how to do something correctly it's hard to think about how to do it incorrectly which is why it's so painful to listen to to like read something you wrote 10 years ago <laughs> you're like oh my god look at this fucking idiot writing yep. or um like what the best example i could think is they have ancient ancient paintings of someone trying to ride a horse while sitting like way too far back so, like, his legs are, like, by the back legs of the horse. <laughs> and he's trying to ride it like that. And it's on a painting. It's on a painting. And it's not, like, sarcastic. This is someone who's, like, is this going to on a horse? Like, like, they had this big thing that eats grass. And they managed to get one that was, that was like, friendly. Yep. And he's, like, man, if I could be on top of the thing while I was running fast, I could totally murder all my enemies. I, the best part of the movie to me was when everyone's losing their shit trying to make the first sound movie that they've that anyone anyone there has worked on like all the notes i had before that i don't care about them like i don't care about the elephant even though it totally could have walked up the hill instead of having a whole scene about that why does everyone want to go to that party i don't think i want to go to that party you could they had syphilis back then and there was definitely a whole bunch of syphilis in there like they hadn't invented all the fun stuff today like herpes and oh there's a funny part when margot robbie she she goes to the same set as Brad Pitt the f- the first day. The guy brings her up like, oh, I, I got a girl for you for the movie. And the, the director's like, uh, no tits? What happened to the tits part? She wanted a girl with a huge rack. I, yeah. I got, we, we go through a whole scene of where Margot Robbie is, is acting and she's doing really well. And, you know, we keep shooting that over and over to get the right, the right uh, take. And we see Brad Pitt, who's filming like a medieval war movie like a silent ben-hur or something uh, but yeah that's all i have for that that bit because i just thought it was really interesting to see how everything worked when there was no sound because when the movie started i didn't know it was no sound but until we see margot uh the final edit of margot robbie's first movie 
that's when we first see that there's going to be uh, or that there's silent pictures. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder about one thing, though, like the 1926 movie. Like, Where is the 1926 movie where the um, the actress grabs a guy's dick and then flashes the camera twice? Like, I feel like I would have heard about that movie existing. The movie lost me several times. I'm like, I don't think that's how it worked. Right. I know that like these are legends and stories. And I think like I'm not saying no one ever flashed the camera, but like it didn't make it in the movie. So and did you find that the dialogue was was relating to the 1920s? I felt like everyone was just talking like they do now. Did people have different accents back then? Well, I feel like they used different words and things. And she was talking about her pussy. I feel like she was saying all sorts of like slang that would be used today. Sound pictures are just starting to come in. And Margot Robbie is doing her first sound picture on a stage. And one thing that I took for granted and didn't even think about is that they have this gigantic, it looks like a spotlight, but it's to pick up sound. And she has to literally stand in an exact spot mm-hmm. in order for the sound to grab. Yeah. You just think, oh, someone has a recording device and, you know, it'll pick up the sound. But no, she has to be directly under this. <laughs> Yeah, there's no boomstick. They built rafters for the microphone. Yeah, and there's there's a whole thing about, oh, can you move this? Yeah, it'll take about five hours. So they keep having to do these takes because there are people coming in and out of the the stage area. There are Margot Robbie is too loud at one time, too quiet at one time. She has to be perfectly on pitch. There's a guy who's in like this little box. Was it like the to make sure everything is level? The guy who almost dies because he's sweating to death. <laughs> That part doesn't make sense. Like, how is he doing his job if he's dead? He was in there for some reason, but they didn't need him to do anything because he was dead for the whole take, I assume. <laughs> like, based on the timing, there's no way. If you're dead from heat stroke, you've been unconscious for a while. Right, and if that was the case where he just had to set something up, he could go in there, press play, and then come out. Yeah. So, I, I mean, so that's, doing. that's, you know, it's a plot hole in our five-hour movie. Yeah. <laughs> Three hour movie. Three hours is long, but we don't need to exaggerate how long the movie is. Yeah. Or is it three and a half? Uh, 309. You really feel the 09. What's the main character's name? Uh, Manuel something. Yeah, I mean, his name is all over the movie, but I still forget his name. Yeah. (laughs) He's not in it. He's not in the best part of his own movie. This movie is like two and a half biopics built to kind of hobble together a world building for a world that existed in like myth and legend. I think the whole thing is kind of surreal and like they have like the dungeon with the fucking alligator and like the whole time I'm going, I don't think this is how it was. No. So they're trying to make me connect to these characters who like trying to make me connect to these characters in this world that just feels made up. So, like, I just could not get immersed in this three-hour, nine-minute movie. <laughs> I kept getting pulled out by just things that didn't make sense. To this next part is the last part that I thoroughly enjoyed. Up until this next part I'm going to talk about, I thought this was a 10 out of 10 movie. Like, mm-hmm. And then it, it takes a steep dive off a short cliff. The snake fight. They're at another party, of course. And Margot Robbie wants to get her dad, who's wasted to fight a snake and she rallies most of the people at the party to come with them and they do like an old school well, obviously this is old school but where they circle the cars around yeah and they got the headlights on like two people are gonna fight and it's the dad and the snake now i i was so sure the snake was just gonna lunch on the dad after he passed out but yeah <laughs> the dad's gonna fight it and he passes out drunk so margot robbie's like trying to get someone else to do it. She's like, ah, fuck it. I'll do it. You bunch of pussies or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And the snake, (laughs) there's like a two minute scene of the snake bites her on the neck. And everyone's screaming, everyone's screaming and running. And she's running around with the snake dangling. over. They they have a scene where one football player jumps in the arms of another football player. And then the, and then gets carried away running. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, okay. And like, yeah, but Margot Robbie has the snake attached to her neck for literally like a minute, maybe two minutes. It's long enough. And it's a goddamn rattlesnake, too. The intro we do with the um the Nick Cage intro we do, this scene is longer than that. And I, I, might, I cut my scream off because I thought it was too long. 
that so was, that was the part of the movie that like kind of made you lose it. No, no, no. I like that part. After this is where it just kind of okay plummeted. Yeah, I, yeah. I I really enjoyed the snake. <laughs> For me, they either needed to to like keep on ramping up, or they needed to stay realistic. But it's like it has these up downs, and I'm just like the third time the movie slows down to a crawl. I'm like, I just don't care anymore. A hundred percent. How many times am I gonna watch? Manny just be hopelessly in love with this chick that literally never looks at him twice for anything other than a favor. He's like a famous uh, producer now because he was a waiter at a an orgy. They're like, well, no, kid, he's, you got he's, grit. He is the man who invents the concept of pointing the cameras at the band. I, that's what makes him go from being like a guy that helps out to being this guy has the ideas. He, once he does that, like he's on the set of his idea. And then someone comes up and offers him a job yeah. that like changes everything. I, I did enjoy the you're not better than me scene. Although I feel like she could have done that before she covered her face in raspberries. But, you know, the whole thing is about her not doing things at the right time. <laughs> she swings rapidly between like being absolutely brilliant. Yeah, Early in the movie, like she's getting kind of pushed out by the person who has connections to the person paying for the film. The woman that's jealous of her. So she cancels the movie by going and getting surgery. And then the movie is reshot starring her because they're like, oh, yeah, we still we need someone else is paying the money, but she's the one making the money. So she kind of takes control of the production. And uh, I guess when she can't play chicken, she does. She has no idea what to do. If she pl- she tries to be diplomatic and she tries that for all of two and a half scenes, <laughs> which is almost nothing in this movie. And then the movie turns into a series of Manny bailing her character out. Yeah. She just walks away for no reason. Oh, yes. She she owes $85,000 cuz she gambled it all away. And she goes up to his house to bail him out for him to bail her out. And she he yells at her in Spanish, which we had a conversation about this on something I was editing where it's like people talking to each other in different languages. He's he's screaming at her in Spanish that she can't speak in I guess we're just have, supposed to have to go off of the inflection of your tone of voice. It's like, piss off. Brad Pitt, he's still in this movie at this point. He's trying to uh, to still get work. He gets laughed at because of his, his voice acting's not good. He's really struggling to, to convert to the sound movies. And he's just getting shit rolls. And he ends up killing himself. Well, now, there is a, there's a whole scene where the tabloid writer says it's not because of his voice acting. Mm-hmm. It's just that he's been famous for long enough that he's out of he's out of style. Yeah. Toby Maguire plays the cliche like scary mob boss. Mm-hmm. If you've seen one movie with a scary mob boss you've seen that comes out of nowhere in the middle, you've seen this movie twenty times. Oh he's spooky. He's scary. He's on drugs. He's on drugs. Let's go on a trip. No, you have to go on a trip. Let's go. It's this. Ha- this scene has happened a million times. Yeah. And boy, do they drag it out. Oh yeah. No, you really have to see what's down here. It turns out they go into this like like underground area. Then they go further underground, past an alligator, where a dude on steroids. Apparently, they had steroids in the 1930s. So he escapes the rape dungeon after killing the spit guy. Um, so they have to escape to Mexico. He wants to bring Margot Robbie with him. I guess he's uh, he's really stupid around really hot women because just her. Like he no. spends his whole life in Hollywood. He's just he's in love with her. Yeah. Now, fair. I will admit, I think everyone has done something stupid for a woman that has really given every signal that you should <laughs> not do stupid for, for her. No, no, we've never done that. OK. <laughs> <laughs> but like everyone like, listening is thinking of that person and what they've done right now <laughs> including me <laughs> if you or someone you know has been affected by being in love with a crazy bitch <laughs> yep i i got really mad at manny maybe we're supposed to get mad at manny but i yeah. just didn't care what happened to manny after like so she shows up needing 85 grand and he's like spend the night here no no, <laughs> do not spend the night there. Do not spend the night there. What you do is you give her enough money for a bus ticket. The fact that like he 
thinks that the that an actor has access to eighty five grand yeah, doesn't look the at 20s. the money and then like goes with a satchel of money. <laughs> it's like this is the smart guy. I don't know. You can't give her the money, but like I don't know what his plan is because before he even gets the money, she's like being stupid and loud again. Like she hasn't learned her lesson before Correct. he walks into uncertain death. Yeah, and of course they let him go. He can't kill him. Um, he pisses his pants, but by the time he gets back to the car, she disappeared into the night. There's a newspaper later on at the end of the movie where it says she dies, but the camera shot didn't dwell long enough on the newspaper for me to see it. Did you see how she died? Or No, I didn't, but like I assumed I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because the first hour had me caring deeply about these two characters. The fourth time they drove into and out of a ditch. I'm just like, I. what are you doing here? Um, he lives happily ever after, and we have to look at him, watch a movie, but we're staring at his face instead of, like, whatever it was supposed to be, and it took forever. And, this and he was watched a-, a movie about himself, so we're watching a movie that Hollywood made about Hollywood making movies while he watches the movie made about him making <laughs> movies. Yeah, and yeah, and this is in hour three, so I- I've had about enough at this point. Um, yeah, I- I'm just like... If I had to, like, I didn't know I was starting to believe this movie would never end. Yeah. I thought I would just have to wait until I got, like, too hungry to get, like, low <laughs> blood sugar. And then I would just walk out while the movie was still going. Yeah, it was, it was like, getting close to that point. We're real lucky I didn't, like, go in there little buds because my attention. <laughs> I usually, because I, I can enjoy a movie with a couple of drinks in me. But if yeah. it's boring, I'm gone. <laughs> my verdict, honestly, like, the first half of the movie, I'd say the first hour to hour and 15 minutes mm-hmm. was a 10 out of 10 for me. And then it mm. just completely fell off a cliff. Uh, give it a 7.1. I would say it started at a seven. Mm-hmm. It went up to an eight and then it slowly took its way down to a five out of 10. Yeah, it's this was the middle and the end of this movie. Like I enjoyed the first part so much that it stayed at a seven for me. But mm-hmm. the rest of the movie was like a four. It, it didn't do anything that was really unique or interesting to keep me like to keep me going along with it. Uh-huh. And I just kept on and it was so unrealistic. I thought I'm being pulled out of it. Like you have to go into the world of the movie, which is why like you can say like, Oh, this guy is doing magic. Why do you think this is unrealistic? Because it, whatever, like, Oh, IMDB 6,000 plus ratings for a 7.4 out of 10. Opening weekend, 3.6 million. Uh, current total of 8.3 million. A production budget. Do you want to take a, a wild guess at the production budget? 50 million? 110 million. How do you pay Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie to do a movie and then focus on this guy that nobody cares about? Whatever. All right, so we will catch you guys later. <clears throat> later. Later.